podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. In this week's episode, we discuss Sarah Jane Smith's final story of her initial run on the show in The Hand of Fear. We'll be discussing the Doctor, the companions, the villains, and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on the story, so as always, to join the discussion, you can check us out at Time Temp, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingtemp at teamproductions.com. But now though, Paddy, one more time, if you please, with the story recap. I will indeed, and I will try to make it as monotone as possible so as not to heighten your already fragile emotional state. (laughs) (laughs) Part 1. In a dome on the blizzard-stricken planet of Castria, a pair of cloaked figures sit and listen as the voice decrees that Eldrad the traitor is to be sentenced to obliteration for their crimes. The voice, which belongs to King Rokan, calls out for one of the figures, Technic Old Barrel, to give a report on the obliteration module, but gets no response. The other figure, Commander Zaska, checks on Old Barrel and discovers that they have been frozen to death and reports it back to Rokan. Zaska then reports that the obliteration module, which is currently making its way through deep space, is on schedule to be destroyed once it reaches the boundary of all known solar systems. Rokan reports that the last of the planetary's protective barriers which Eldred is responsible for destroying, and thus allowing the blizzards to ravage the planet, is about to fail, and so they must destroy the module immediately. Zaska says that there is a chance that Eldred could still survive, but Rokan says that they need to take the risk. Zaska obeys the order and destroys the module, and Rokan orders him to evacuate the dome. As he leaves, he drags Obarl's body with him. On Earth, the TARDIS lands in the middle of a quarry that has been rigged for detonation. Dr. Sarah Jane exits the TARDIS and hears sounds of a warning sirens. Sarah Jane says that they haven't landed at their target of South Croydon, but the Doctor ignores her as he tests his cricketing skills by bowling over some rocks as they walk through the quarry. In the distance, they see someone waving frantically, but they can't hear his warnings, but Sarah Jane tells the Doctor to run. The man tries to stop the detonation of the quarry face, but it is too late. He then rushes down to see if they are okay and comes across the Doctor, asking him how they had got into the quarry. The Doctor ignores him and looks around for Sarah Jane and spots his coat that he gave her. The Doctor mournfully picks it up as the man begins to berate him. They suddenly hear Sarah Jane's screams from nearby and rush towards them, followed by a crew of workmen. The Doctor finds her, discovering she is now unconscious, and carefully guides the workers to help free her. He manages to pull her out just as an ambulance arrives, and he puts her on a stretcher. The workman notices that she is clutching what appears to be a petrified hand with a ring on it, but he says that he can't get it off her. The Doctor says that she needs to get to a hospital right away, and goes with her in the ambulance. At the hospital, the Doctor finishes getting checked over and asks to see Sarah Jane. He is brought to her room and is told that she is in a state of deep shock. Our doctor tells her that she was given a tetanus shot as the arm that was holding the petrified hand has stayed in its constricted state, even after the hand was prized away and sent to the pathology lab. The doctor goes to the lab and asks to be informed when she wakes up. At the lab, the doctor meets Dr. Carter, the head of pathology, who is examining the hand. Carter says that it is a silicon-based, but thinks that it is a hoax, as that would mean that it belonged to a stone person. The doctor says that it isn't a hoax and asks for an electron microscope so that he can examine it further. A short while later he gets one delivered from the virology department. He tells an amazed Carter that the hand was buried in a layer of rock dating back to the Jurassic period, billions of years before humanity evolved. The doctor says that he needs to go back to the quarry as he may find the answer there. Back in her room, Sergei wakes up once her doctor leaves and opens her hand to reveal the ring from the petrified hand, which begins to glow blue. She gets dressed and prepares to leave but hides when the doctor approaches. He places the Do Not Disturb sign on the door and then heads for the quarry. Once the coast is clear, Sarah Jane makes her way to the pathology lab. She surprises Carter and declares that Eldred must live and uses the ring to stun him. 
Carter wakes up a short time later and calls through to the reception to try and stop Sarah Jane, but he is told that she has already left. The Doctor returns from the quarry, having found no signs of a spaceship, which he assumed to be there, and goes to check on Sarah Jane. He finds her room empty and goes to see Carter, who tells him what she did. Carter suddenly asks in a stern manner if the Doctor found anything, before repeating it again in a much softer tone. The Doctor says that he found nothing, and that they can then discuss what she could have wanted with the hand. The Doctor says that it could be the other way around, and that the hand, whilst inert but not dead, could have wanted her due to their physical connection. They take a look at the sample in the electron microscope and see that its molecular structure has changed. The doctor theorizes that the sample could have been absorbing radiation from the machine, and he tells him to store it away safely. He then has a thought and asks Carter where the nearest nuclear facility is. At the nearby Newton Research and Development Complex, Sarah Jane uses the ring to stun the security guard and walks into the complex, still carrying the hand. She makes her way into the interior, stunning a technician who tries to stop her from entering the reactor room. Outside, the Doctor and Carter try to drive through the security gate, but are stopped by a group of armed guards. Inside, Sarah Jane's entrance into the reactor's room sets off an evacuation alarm. She then watches as the hand slowly regenerates and starts to move. Part 2. The facility director, Professor Watson, arrives at the control room and orders the assembled technicians to shut off the warning sirens. He then tells the technicians to start the emergency shutdown procedures, whilst he informs the facility as to the cause of the alarm. He then orders the radiation team to go into the reactor room to get Sarah Jane out. He is then surprised by the arrival of the Doctor and Carter, who use the confusion of the alarm to get away from the guards escorting them to the holding area. The Doctor asks to be given a chance to speak to her, but Watson brushes him off and instead asks about the status of the radiation team. Unbeknownst to them, Carter hears a voice in his head, saying that Eldrad must live. One of the technicians, Jackson, tells Watson that the team can't get into the reactor room as the manual locks have been jammed by Sarah Jane. She then says that the radiation in the room is slowly increasing and Sarah Jane should be dead by now. Watson talks to Sarah Jane through the intercom and asks her for her demands, thinking that she is some sort of deranged eco-terrorist. She ignores him and Watson tells Jackson to place a call through to the government to alert them of the situation. The doctor takes the intercom and starts to speak to Sarah Jane, but she replies in a childlike manner that nothing is more important than Eldrad living. The doctor asks her who Eldrad is, but she ignores him as she hears the command that Eldrad must live again, but this time in her own voice. The doctor says that he's going to try and get her out and says that he can get into the room via the coolant ducts. Jackson says the temperature is nearly 200 degrees Celsius and he'll die, but the doctor says that he'll just have to be quick. Carter hears the command for Eldrad to live in his own voice, like Sarah Jane, and says that he will go as well, but the doctor tells him to stay behind. However, Carter follows him anyway. Sarah Jane disables the security camera in the room and watches as the hand begins to move around the room by itself. Jackson says that he should evacuate, but Watson says that he will stay behind and orders her to leave when she says that she will remain with him. Once he is alone, Watson makes a call to his wife, telling her that he will be late home. En route to the coolant ducts, Carter picks up a wrench and attacks the doctor, declaring that Eldred must live. However, his momentum carries him over the edge of the stairwell that they are on, and he plummets to his death. The doctor makes his way to the ducts and manages to get into the reactor room before succumbing to the roasting heat. Sarah Jane goes to shoot him with the ring, but he stops her when he declares that Eldred must live. The doctor uses her confusion as a chance to knock her out, apologising as he does so. He then unjams the door and takes Sarah Jane out, not noticing the ring fall from her hand. Meanwhile, Watson prepares for the reactor to go critical, but it suddenly switches to shutdown mode. He then gets a call from the doctor saying that he and Sarah Jane are in the decontamination area. Watson congratulates him and says that he will join them shortly. He then issues an all-clear message to the complex staff. In the decontamination room, Sarah Jane comes to and reveals that she can't remember anything after the quarry explosion. Watson bursts in and demands to know what she was trying to do, but the doctor says that she can't be blamed. 
Watson tries to express some empathy towards her, now thinking that she is a patient of the doctor's, but says that she was nearly caused a nuclear disaster. The doctor takes a Geiger counter and shows Watson and the newly arrived Jackson that it reads zero when he hovers it over Sarah Jane. He then tells him about Carter and tells everyone what happened after the quarry explosion. They make their way to the command room as the doctor tells them about the hand absorbing all the radiation as part of its regeneration process. The security camera feed is fixed and they watch as the hand makes its way around the room. The doctor says he will go to collect it, but Watson says he needs him in the command room and sends Driscoll, one of the radiation team, to go get it and bring it back to the decontamination room. Driscoll collects the hand and as he leaves he spots the ring on the floor. He picks it up and it suddenly glows blue replacing Driscoll under its hypnotic spell. Driscoll brings the hand to the decontamination room where Watson is amazed to see that it is showing no signs of radiation. Driscoll puts it into a storage unit but before he leaves the doctor asks him if he found the ring. Driscoll lies and offers to go search the room again for it. Watson goes back to the control room but before they join him the doctor places a protesting Sarah Jane into hypnotic trance and asks her about Eldrad. Sarah Jane begins repeating that Eldrad must live and that she must obey as she was shown the light of Castria. She says that all others who have seen the light must also obey. This includes Driscoll, who has now begun hearing the command that Eldrad must live. The doctor then tells her to purge Eldrad's influence from her mind, and he then takes her out of the trance. However, she gets a measure of revenge against him by repeating the command, but quickly tells him that she was only testing him. They go back to the command room, where Watson says that Driscoll reported that he couldn't find the ring. The doctor, now knowing the power of the ring, says that Driscoll must be under its influence. Just then, they get a call from the decontamination room, where one of the radiation team members says that there is a strange banging coming from the contamination storage unit. The doctor says that he will go down there, but when he arrives he finds the team member unconscious and the hand removed from the storage unit. The doctor calls Watson and tells him to send every single available guard to look for Driscoll. He then makes his way to the radiation room. En route he finds a group of guards that were stunned by Driscoll and he continues on after him. He spots him but is forced to take cover when he fires a bolt of energy from the ring. The doctor is then joined by Sarah Jane and Watson, but he tells him to evacuate the complex again. Watson goes, but Sarah Jane follows on after the doctor. They're too late to stop Driscoll and take cover as he opens the inner door to the reactor and walks in with the hand. The resulting surge of radiation triggers multiple explosions throughout the complex. Part 3 The doctor and Sarah Jane are lying on the ground after the explosions, and she asks if they are dead. The doctor says that they aren't, and he then rushes into the reactor room to close the door. Watson appears and tells him to get out due to the high radiation levels, but the doctor says that there isn't any, pointing to the radiation counter on the wall. Watson asks about the explosion, and the doctor says that it was absorbed by the hand, resulting in a sort of unexplosion. The doctor says that Eldred is rebuilding themselves, and could potentially look to feed on other radiation sources. Watson goes to the command room to call in the army. Sarah Jane goes to follow him, but the doctor says that it won't do any good. He says that they should try to communicate with Eldred, but Sarah Jane doesn't seem too keen on the idea. Watson returns and says that the RAF will be launching a tactical nuclear strike on the complex to completely wipe it out. The doctor again proposes communicating with Eldred, saying that it is probably scared due to the circumstances of its arrival on Earth. Watson and Sarah Jane argue that it is too violent and they leave to avoid getting caught in the explosion. The doctor doesn't follow them immediately, but quickly goes after he notices that Eldred has begun melting their way through the reactor door. The trio then make their way to the last security jeep and flee the complex. They then watch as a pair of planes fly overhead to launch their missiles and Watson tells everyone to take cover to avoid being blinded by the flash from the explosion. However, the doctor ignores him and watches as the missiles strike the complex, yielding no explosion. The others ask what happened and the doctor says that anything that can live in the reactor would not be bothered by a few missiles. He then says that they should go back to speak to Eldred. In the reactor room, Eldred emerges from the inner core 
and are shocked when they see their reflection, which resembles a light, feminine, crystalline rock humanoid. Saying that there must be an impression from the form of the person that they found them, Eldred votes to return to Castria and rule it. The Doctor and the others arrive back to the complex and he goes on ahead. Despite his instructions to stay behind, Sarah Jane goes after him and tells him that she has as much stake in talking to Eldred as he does. After agreeing that they were all trying to keep each other safe, the duo make their way into the complex. They arrive back at the reactor room and are confronted by Eldred, who holds them at bay with the ring. The Doctor asks Eldred how she survived the missile attack, and she says that she absorbed the energy generator from the explosion. Eldred asks if they were the ones who attacked her, and the Doctor swears that they weren't responsible. Eldred reads the Doctor's mind and agrees that he is telling the truth. Eldred again asks why she was attacked, and the Doctor says that humanity is scared of the things that they don't understand, which usually leads to violence. The Doctor asks how Eldred came to Earth, and she says coyly that she was betrayed and that she intends to seek revenge. The Doctor says it has been 150 million years since Eldred arrived on Earth, and Eldred again reads his mind. The strain of the process proves too much for the Doctor, who collapses to the ground, and Sarah Jane rushes to help him. Eldred then asks for the Doctor's help, and Sarah Jane starts to give out to her, but the Doctor stops her. Eldred then tells him that... Eldred then tells them that she was Castria's foremost scientist and helped create barriers, amongst other technical marvels, that protected the planet from the solar winds that battered it. Then, two neighbouring planets went to war and used Castria as their battleground, destroying the barriers as a result. The two planets corrupted the officials of Castria and made them discredit Eldred and sentence her to obliteration. Sergeyne asks why the people of Castria will allow Eldred's obliteration, but Eldred sidesteps the question and begs the Doctor, having learned that he is a Time Lord, to take her back in time so she can set things right. The Doctor refuses, saying that it would break the first law of time, but he says that he can take her back now. Eldred then tells him to be quiet, as she can hear something, but the Doctor and Sarah Jane said that there is no one else around. Eldred agrees to their proposal, and they make their way out of the reactor room. Suddenly Watson, who is the person that Eldred sensed, appears and opens fire on Eldred, but the bullets have no effect. Eldred shoots at him with the ring, but misses, and it blasts a hole in the wall. She then chases after Watson as he rushes back to the control room, with the Doctor following and pleading with Eldred to spare him. Eldred catches Watson in the control room and uses her mental powers to torture him. The Doctor says that he will not help Eldred unless she lets Watson live. Eldred agrees and Sergeant rushes to help Watson, confirming that he is still alive. The Doctor says that Eldred owes their regeneration to Watson's actions and says that they will not leave until he is certain he is okay. Watson says that he is fine and the Doctor and Sarah Jane leave with Eldred and make their way to the TARDIS. Jackson arrives a few moments later and finds a confused Watson trying to figure out how to explain everything that has happened. In the TARDIS, Eldred expresses their admiration. Sorry. In the TARDIS, Eldred expresses her admiration for the Time Lord's ingenuity and asks where the weapons are on the TARDIS. The Doctor says that the answer is in his brain, and Eldred tries to use her powers on him, but it doesn't work. The Doctor says that due to the nature of the TARDIS, they are in a state of grace that prevents them from using any sort of powers on each other. Sarah Jane then uses this as a chance to ask the Doctor why he is helping Eldred, and he says that he is actually helping Earth by removing Eldred from it. Sarah Jane says that they still need to be careful, and leaves the control room whilst the Doctor and Eldred plot a course to Castria. The TARDIS lands on Castria, and the view screen shows the raging blizzard battering the dome structure. She, Eldred then asks what the radiation count is, and when the Doctor says that it is reading a bit high, she says that is all that she needs. They then rush into the dome, and the Doctor says that the entire planet is dead, and the dome is devoid of any power. Eldred says that this is what life was like before she built the barriers, and that her people have gone into their dormant state. She then uses her ring to return power to the dome. 
Eldra says that they must go to the thermal chambers and she then opens the door, only to be impaled through the chest by a metal rod. Part 4. The Doctor and Sarah Jane rush to help Eldred, but she tells him to stand back as she removes the rod. Eldred tells him that the rod contained an acid that is designed to destroy her molecular bond. She says that she invented the acid and that there is no cure for it. The Doctor says that there must be something that they can do to help, and Eldred says that they must get to a regeneration chamber immediately. Unbeknownst to them, their progress is being monitored by a roped figure in the control room. The Doctor and Sarah Jane take Eldred onto an elevator, and they go to the level with the regeneration chamber. As they make their way through a tunnel, Sarah Jane is bombarded by a spray of blue gas and she begins to choke on it. Eldred assures the Doctor that she will be fine as the gas is designed only to affect silicon-based life forms. The Doctor relates this to Sarah Jane who gets back to her feet and helps the Doctor carry Eldred to the chamber. A sudden rock ball nearly crushes them but they manage to avoid it unscathed. Sarah Jane wonders where the corpses of the dead Castrians are, and the Doctor explains to Sarah Jane that they have crumbled to sand due to their silicon-based existence and they are now standing on them a fact which horrifies Sarah Jane. As they make their way to the regeneration chamber, Sarah Jane wonders who set the booby traps and why, as she realises that they were specifically designed to kill silicon-based life forms. Doctor says that they must have been for the inhabitants of the warring planets Eldred told them about, and then presses on ahead. As they proceed, Sarah Jane nearly falls down a seemingly bottomless chasm, but the Doctor manages to save her. The Doctor carries an increasingly rigid Eldred across the narrow walkway and is followed by Sarah Jane. They make their way to the regeneration chamber, but find it locked. Eldred goes to open it, but the Doctor, thinking that there may be another booby trap, tells Sarah Jane to take cover with her, whilst he uses the ring to open the door. His theory proves correct, as he trips a sensor that releases an explosive projectile, but he manages to avoid it. In the control room, the main computer reports their progress to the robe figure. The computer announces that Eldred has returned, and tries to obliterate them again, but the power is too weak. In the regeneration chamber, the Doctor works to fix the machine as cracks have begun to appear in the now unconscious Eldred's body. Sarah Jane puts her on a bed, but suddenly a column descends from the roof and crushes Eldred into dust. Thinking that they have failed, the Doctor says that they should leave, but they take cover when they see a nearby door beginning to open. A male Kestrian appears and reveals that he is Eldred, having returned to his normal form. The Doctor and Sarah Jane come out and say that they thought Eldred had been killed. He laughs as he says that his enemies attempted to kill him using the technology that he created and then vows to destroy them all. Suddenly, Rokan appears on a video screen and he tells Eldred that he has won nothing. The Doctor asks who Rokan is and Eldred mockingly replies that he is the King of Castria and the one who sentenced him to obliteration. Eldred reveals that he found out that they intended to kill him so he destroyed the protective barriers, making up the story about the warring planets so the Doctor would help him. The Doctor asks why Rokan wanted to kill him and Eldred says that Rokan was a weak ruler and instead he wanted to become king so he could lead Kestria in conquest of the galaxy. Eldred then goes off to meet Rokan and after he leaves, the Doctor takes the ring out of the power generator. In the control room, Eldred discovers the robed figure is Rokan but when he touches him, he crumbles the dust. Sir Jane asks how that could have happened as they only just saw him but the Doctor says it was most likely a recording from the past. They then realise the booby traps were designed to stop Eldred from coming back. The Doctor then asks Eldred who he intends to rule, and he replies that he will wake up the Castrians lying in their dormant state. He goes to the storage chamber where the dormant Castrians are being kept, but discovers it is completely empty. Eldred cries out in anger, and the video of Rokan appears again. He explains that the entire Castrian race chose mass suicide rather than live beneath the surface of the planet or face the possibility of Eldred's return. Rokan then mockingly proclaims that he is king of nothing. Eldred mourns the loss of his dreams, but quickly decides to subjugate Earth instead when he overhears Sarah Jane's agreement with the Castrian's final choice. 
Eldred demands the Doctor give him back the ring, but the Doctor throws it into the storage chamber and he and Sarah Jane run as Eldred goes to retrieve it. They hear Eldred coming after them and the Doctor gives Sarah Jane one end of his scarf and they lie in wait for him to, tr- to come near the chasm. When he arrives, they pull on the scarf, causing him to trip over it and plummet into the chasm to his death. The Doctor then reveals that he still has the ring and threw a decoy to distract Eldred. They then make their way to the TARDIS and the Doctor throws the ring into the chasm. In the TARDIS, Sarah Jane asks if Eldred is dead and the Doctor says Castrians are hard to kill. The TARDIS then lurches as it takes off and the Doctor says that the outside temperature must have affected the flight systems. Sarah Jane says that she can relate and the Doctor says that he has experienced much colder environments. Sarah Jane gets annoyed at him and reminds him that she is human and not as resilient as he is. However, the Doctor is more preoccupied with repairing the TARDIS and Sarah Jane vents her frustration at the perilous nature of travelling the TARDIS as well as missing out on the comforts of a normal life. The Doctor continues to focus on his repairs and Sarah Jane tries to pack her things and leave. He doesn't reply and she leaves to follow through on her threat. After she leaves, the Doctor receives a psychic summons to return to Gallifrey. He says that he can't take Sarah Jane with him and sets a course to return her home. Sarah Jane returns with her things and the Doctor sadly tells her that she must leave as she can't go with him. The shocked Sarah Jane says that she didn't mean it and that he can't go to Gallifrey without her. The TARDIS lands and Sarah Jane says that she will say goodbye to everyone in unit for him. She leaves and both of them vow never to forget each other. Sarah Jane exits the TARDIS and then watches it leave. She then notices that she is not outside her house as the doctor said and states that she probably isn't anywhere near her home of South Croydon. Smiling at his ineptitude, Sarah Jane takes off down the road whistling. End of the story. So that is my part of this tragic tale done. We're going to go on to Trisha's part of it. So what trivia do you have for us this week? Okay, so the air date for this story is the 2nd of October to the 23rd of October in 1976. Writers are Bob Baker and Dave Martin. This is story five of eight for the writing duo. We previously saw their work in The Claws of Axos, The Mutants, The Three Doctors and The Sontaran Experiment. And we'll see their work again together in The Invisible Enemy, Underworld and The Armageddon Factor. And then, as we've mentioned before, Bob has one solo story, which is Nightmare of Eden. The director of this story is Lenny Main. This is the final directing credit for Lenny, who previously saw his work in The Curse of Peladon, The Three Doctors and The Monster of Peladon. After finishing production on this serial, as well as an episode of Softly Softly Task Force, Lenny sadly drowned after a wave swept him overboard in the English Channel in May of 1977. Which I think oh, I've mentioned before. That like, obviously it's like it's very sad that he passed away, but what I will say is the legacy he leaves behind with these four stories that he's contributed to mm. is 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 incredible. Like it's like it's one of those things of where it's like you know with small with fandoms themselves, like while you have the actors and the characters, the directors and the writers are sometimes the unsung heroes. Mm. And like his contributions, as I said, I think you know we talked about Dougie Camfield, we talked about uh, David Whitaker, uh, Paddy Russell, all these people. Like their contributions are amazing. Yeah, no, totally agree. So again, I've mentioned it before. The Hand of Fear was originally intended for the 1976 six-part slot that would have been that ended up being taken by Seeds of Doom. So it was meant to be a previous season story. And it was actually inspired by the film The Beast with Five Fingers. So the way Bob Baker describes it was 
um, he and Dave Martin met up with uh, Philip Hinchcliffe and with Bob Holmes. And they just started just spitballing like movies they liked, science fiction stories they found interesting to try and find a good, you know, inspiration for this story. So, like I said, originally this was meant to be in that Seeds of Doom spot. So there were several versions of the script. Uh, One had an advanced guard preparing the way for an alien army. Um, Another focused on two Omegans. Uh, representing the hawk and dove working against humanity. Uh, There are plans in that version for the Brigadier and Harry to be in it, and for them to, or at least for the Brigadier, to go in a blaze of glory, like was originally intended in one of the Jurassic Pyramids of Mars. However, Bob Holmes thought it was too complex, and so he commissioned a different story to finish up season 13, which was Seeds of Doom. And this got pushed out, into now season 14. So permission to film at the nuclear power station Albury was obtained before the script was even completed. So Bob Baker and Dave Martin actually lived near the station. And so yeah. when they were writing the story, they said, can we come down and have a look around? And they were like, yeah, come on, come on down. They gave him a big tour. It was fantastic. And so it actually fed a lot into the story what they got to see when they went to visit. And afterwards, when they were looking for a place to film, they're like, could we film here? And again, they were like, yeah, cool, no problem, come on then. Um, there was obviously a couple of health concerns, because it was an active nuclear power station. Mm. So um, there was Geiger counter checks being performed on the cast and crew regularly. Uh, radiological clearance certificates had to be issued before any object could leave the building. Yeah. Um, and Liz Layden sort of tells a story of like when they went on location and they rocked up. She hadn't thought that they were filming at a real nuclear power station. She wasn't quite sure where <laughs> she was going. But she said that she was really glad that she wasn't pregnant at the right time. <laughs> Do you know? And that like, there was sort of like a little bit of um, a sort of everyone okay, like amongst the um, hairdressers and the makeup girls, kind of being like, <laughs> are we all good? Yeah, no, we're fine. <laughs> it's. It's always very alarming to hear when they film anywhere within the vicinity of an active nuclear site mm. because there's a John Wayne film uh, called The Conqueror mm. and they were about, like, I think it was something like 100 miles away from a nuclear uh, facility, but the downwinds mm. swept and like I, there was a lot of people that were actually on that film shoot uh, developed cancer. And so there was the thing of like that, it, that was a leading cause as to what gave them their cancers. Yeah. So it's always very kind of alarming to kind of go like, I know it's cool and stuff like that, but it's still don't like it. Yeah. Given what I'm going to say as my last trivia item, mm. that holds a different meaning now. Yeah. Um, at one point, um, there's a fly that you can see walking across Professor Watson's brow when he's on the phone um and apparently there's an outtake where accidentally Liz Slayton swallowed it <laughs> 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 yeah. um one of my favorite moments uh, this story has a lot of favorite moments so I'll get to one later but one of my yeah. favorite moments in this is after you know the doctor sort of releases uh, Sarah Jane from Eldred's influence 
and he's like, you're free of Eldred. She's like, I'm free, whatever. And then she says, Eldred must live. And he looks at her like, what the fuck? And she's like, just testing. That yeah. was actually a prank by Liz. <laughs> trying to, what's it called? Corpse Tom Baker, mm. trying to make him like, fuck up. Yeah. Um, but it was so in character that Lenny Main kept it in. <laughs> it really is. It really, really is a character. I actually wouldn't have thought that that was an ad lib. Yeah. Um, Philip Hinchcliffe has said that he kind of felt the last that the first two episodes were great but the last two episodes were kind of lacking in incident it was kind of they weren't as strong and that he failed or they failed to give Sarah Jane enough of a role to befit her final adventure which I don't necessarily agree with and we can talk about that when we get to talk about Sarah Jane no um, but like I've seen a couple of, I watched a number of like the documentaries relating to the story, hmm. um, and I've obviously watched it many times over. Um, but it's one of things that Philip is always very aware of. Like he likes doing a good story. He's very critical of the stories that were made I, during his run. I think he's, he's his own harsh. They, they didn't give Liz a strong enough story for her send off, which. I don't necessarily agree with. No, like I, like I, because this has come up a few times. And I think he's his own harshest critic. Mm. Like he really is, um, and like a good companion departure doesn't need to be like this monumental event. It just needs to be heartfelt. That that's my thing, anyway. Yeah, I think he more so felt that like the rest of the story wasn't strong enough for her. Mm. And he would have liked to have given her more to play with. Um, but I, I, I said, we can talk about that when we talk about Sarah Jane and the character. Yeah, yeah. Um, two things about the final scene of Sarah Jane. So the first is, for some reason, <laughs> and we'll talk about some more later on as well. Um, she walks off whistling the tune to Daddy Wouldn't Buy Me a Bow Wow. Right. Completely random song choice. Probably just because she just interacted with a dog. With a dog. Um, Liz couldn't whistle. So that was actually Lenny Main whistling and Liz miming along. <laughs> and then, of course, the story ends with a freeze frame. Mm. Which is incredibly rare in Doctor Who. They don't really do the freeze frame ending. No. It's usually the TARDIS dematerializing or whatever. Um, Liz asked for it and Lenny gave it to her. Kind of as a going away present. Which is quite sweet. But let's talk about our cast. We'll talk more about Liz's leaving in a second. So, as uh, first seen Eldred, or female Eldred, or whatever way you want to describe, humanoid, Earth humanoid Eldred, we have Judith Paris. So this is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Judith. Her non-Who credits include The Devils, A Picture of Catherine Mansfield, Within These Walls, Lovejoy, Lady Chatterley, and The Phantom of the Opera. Castrian Eldred, as he is called, <laughs> mm. uh, so the later story Eldred, is played by Stephen Thorne. Um, this is the final of four appearances for Stephen. We previously saw him in The Demons, where he played Azal, in The Three Doctors, where he was Omega, and in Frontier in Space, where he played the first Ogron. Interestingly, and I've forgotten about this, I don't know if I mentioned this in any of our previous Stephen Thorne mentions, um, but obviously I was watching the casting of and then leaving of Elizabeth Layden from the show. Mm -hmm. um, when Liz first went in to meet Barry Letts to read for the role he had prepared a scene that he had prepped mm -hmm. specifically for that 
And she was actually acting across opposite Stephen Thorne. He brought Stephen Thorne in to do the Reuters. Oh, that's, that's kind of cool. So he was kind of there at her very beginning and there at the end. Hmm. Uh, Professor Watson is played by Glyn Houston. This is the first of two appearances for Glyn. We'll see him again in The Awakening. His non-who credits include The Great Game, Wide Awake, A Horseman Riding By, Troublemakers, Crown Court, Keep It in the Family, and Breakaway. And Glyn passed before... away in 2019. And also, <laughs> this is like the loosest possible connection because I, I, I thought he looked familiar. He is the brother of Donald Houston, who is in Where Eagles Dare. He's one of the he's one of the <laughs> main villains. <laughs> yeah, I was like going. Yeah, I guess I was like going. I've that voice and that jaw structure. I know I've seen it somewhere before. Yeah, there we go. As Miss Jackson, we have Francis Pigeon. We previously saw Francis in an uncredited role in the Monster of Paladon. This is her only credited role in Doctor Who, and her two stories were directed by her husband Lenny May. Francis's non-who credits include Do Much, Up Jumped a Swagman, and Three of a Kind. Francis passed away in 2015. As Dr. Carter, we have Rex Robinson. This is the final of three appearances for Rex. We previously saw him as Dr. Tyler in The Three Doctors, and then as Gebek in The Monster of Peladon. And lastly, let's talk about the departure of Sarah Jane Smith. So Elizabeth Sladen announced the production crew around halfway through season 13 that she wanted to leave. And there are a number of reasons why this is the case. She'd been in the role for a long time and having come from Rep, where she played a different character every three weeks, mm-hmm. playing the same character for nearly three years was a lot. She felt the character had kind of gone as far as she could within the show. And Liz sort of had this feeling that like the companion couldn't stay forever because that wasn't Doctor Who. Like mm. Doctor Who was the Doctor has a friend and they travel for a while and then that changes that's part of the format of the show and she had kind of felt that Sarah Jane as a character kind of gone as far as she could within that structure and there were other things similar to that the main reason though that Liz and others have cited is that she didn't want to be asked to leave so season 13 the characters at the height of her popularity fans loved her the stories were great And so Liz wanted to leave on a high and not overstay her welcome. She didn't want there to ever come a time where it's like, oh, people aren't watching Doctor Who. Why? They've gotten bored of Sarah Jane. Okay, let's ask Liz to go. Mm -hmm. She didn't want that. So as her contract was kind of coming up to an end anyway, her initial contract, she just decided, I don't want to be asked to leave. So I'm just going to say it myself. She also was really self-conscious of the fact that she was, as she calls it, Barry Letts's girl. She was Barry's girl. Mm-hmm. Barry hired her. Philip Hinchcliffe didn't. And she thought that Philip, as the young producer, would want to put his own stamp on the show by having hired his own companion. Because he also didn't get to pick Tom. That was mm-hmm. also Barry. And so she decided to just leave. But both Tom Baker and Philip Hinchcliffe both said that that wasn't true. Philip was loved her. He loved the character of Sarah Jane. He loved Liz and her performance. And he would have been perfectly happy to see out his run as producer, which this is his last season mm-hmm. with the Doctor and Sarah. He he was perfectly happy for that to be what his show was because it was great. It was great mm-hmm. storytelling. But Liz apparently was a bit self-conscious and she didn't want to ever be asked to leave. And so she just made the choice to leave herself. Um, 
in some interviews with like her daughter Sadie and stuff, you know, Sadie was probably a bad choice. I mean, she was set for life in this role. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, that's what she felt at the time. And so she expressed her interest. Once she had decided she wanted to leave, um, originally it was Dougie Campfield was going to write a script involving aliens and the Foreign Legion, because why not? Hmm. And at the end of that story, Sarah Jane would have been killed off. That was Dougie's plan for how hmm. to have Liz leave. That script never happened, much to Liz's relief. <laughs> <laughs> Because Liz actually had a few preferences on how she wanted her character to leave the show. And as we go through these, this sort of highlights to me, like, A, the Lenny made freeze frame thing. Mm -hmm. But also, like, what her preferences were. And the fact that they listened to her, I think, really says a lot about how much they cared about her. And mm -hmm. how much they probably didn't want her to leave. So, yeah. first, the story should not be about Sarah leaving. The show is called Doctor Who. Not the Doctor and Sarah. It should yeah. be about the story. Sarah's leaving should come not necessarily out of the blue, like apropos of nothing, but that's not mm. what the story should be about. That was her first request. Her second request, she should not be married off. Now, I don't know if this came up as a direct sort of response to the fact that that's how Katie Manning left, mm -hmm. but Liz felt it was lazy writing. And it couldn't be properly set up in a single story. Not like, well, you could set up in a single story, but not, you couldn't set up something that would be in character for Sarah Jane to just marry off someone at the end of a story, mm -hmm. given Sarah Jane as a person, but also mm -hmm. her relationship with the doctor, which I love that. Like that was Liz that called that out that like Sarah Jane, the doctor's relationship, she wouldn't just leave him to marry some rando. Yeah. I don't think Joe really would have either, but however she did. Mm -hmm. Lastly, and this is why she was glad the Dougie Campbell script didn't work, she didn't want to be killed off because she felt it was unfair to young fans. Yeah. Now, bearing in mind, I think it was ballsy for Dougie to go for the killing her off route because we haven't seen a character killed off, like a companion killed off, since... Sarah Kingdom, yeah, Sarah Kingdom, Sarah Story, <laughs> yeah, Sarah Kingdom, and, and <laughs> Sarah Kingdom, Katarina, and Brett Van, yeah. So she didn't want that, she thought it was unfair to fans if that's what was going to happen to her character. Hmm. Because the story wasn't about Sarah Jane leaving, Bob Baker and Dave Martin intentionally didn't write her departure scene, that was left up to Robert Holmes. So Robert Holmes did a version. Philip put some insight into it as well. So when they went into it, they had this shooting script. But neither Tom or Liz really liked it. They didn't think it worked for the characters. And so the two of them went off and workshopped their own ending. So mm. while there was a script on hand on the day, what we saw on screen was actually Tom and Liz came up with that. Like I said, I'm sure there was beats from the bob holmes version obviously the call to gallifrey and stuff like that but most of the character pieces were liz and tom who knew their characters inside out and back to front and they did that themselves which i just think is lovely to be honest yeah uh one of my favorite stories is that there was two leaving parties for liz 
So one was arranged by Philip Hinchcliffe. It was in a hotel. It was a big thing. The second, though, was an after party that Tom Baker had in his home. There was like maybe five or six of them there. And he decorated his garden in fairy lights for her. Oh. Which is so sweet. What's even sweeter about it is that in one of the audio commentaries, it might have been for The Hand of Fear, uh, Tom was describing this. And Liz is like, oh, you do that for everybody. And Tom gets really defensive. He's like, no, that was for you. Mm. Like, yeah. He clearly loved her a lot. Oh, he adored her. Mm. Which and is it's interesting like... because like, they never um, hung out outside of work. Apparently they once bumped into each other on Regent Street. Liz tells the story. And mm. so that Tom didn't know whether to take her for a pint or buy her a new coat. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's... I suppose it, we'll, we'll come to it in a while, like, but um, the, I think there was, like, some anniversary came up or whatever, and he, like, it was, I think, only a couple of years ago, and he's talking about her and their relationship and stuff like that, and he's, he's just trying to hold back the tears. That's, is that the one where he says that he doesn't remember the last time he met her? And uh, he says, poor us. That was, I watched that last night because I'm <laughs> a masochist. That was in, on the Blu-ray, the recent Blu-ray, mm-hmm. um, they did a Sarah Jane Smith special mm-hmm. um, that basically goes through her whole life from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Tom has some very touching... There's, other, there's another moment in that where he's watching a scene, I think it's from Ark in Space, where she gets stuck. Mm-hmm. And he's watching it on a phone. And at one point, he's watching and He's just stroking her face. Which is very sad. Okay, let's move on a little bit. Um, In terms of seasons Mm -hmm. of Doctor Who, Elizabeth Sladen had the record for the longest serving companion with any Doctor because she had three and a bit. Yeah. Um, Whereas Joe had previously had three and she would have had the record previously. In terms of years as a companion, in the classic show, it was easier to track that. Obviously, recently with covid and everything mm. i'm sure that um mandy gill probably has that title now um but before you know there was years between seasons that would mm. have been janet fielding um who was there for three years and then we had fraser hines had the most episodes mm. because obviously there was more episodes per season when fraser was on the show than there was when Liz was on the show. And I think at the moment, I think uh, Karen Gillan as Amy holds mm-hmm. the record for most stories appeared in. Yeah. yeah. However, these, all those that I just mentioned don't include non-televised adventures of the character or later guest reappearances. So that doesn't include the fact that um, Sarah Jane comes back later. That's not included in those figures. It's just her initial run mm. on the show. So in terms of her coming back later, this isn't really the last we see of Sarah Jane. Right? No. Though we will have a rambling later this week where we will look back on the last three and a bit seasons. Sarah Jane returned in a spin-off pilot called Canaan and Company, which, I don't know, we'll probably do a rambling for it, I imagine. I think we when will. When we get to that time chronology. Because otherwise the five doctors, which she was also in, there's going to be a big clip there that makes no fucking sense. Yeah. Um, she was in the unofficial spin-off film Downtime, as well as the comic relief episode Dimensions in Time, 
Of course, she appeared in three episodes with David Tennant. And then she had her own... Nope. Four episodes with David Tennant. Forgot about that one. When he's getting his reward. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. And of course, she had her own spin-off show that actually made it to a show and not just a pilot um, mm-hmm. in the Sarah Jane Adventures, which ran for four and a half seasons. And that's not to mention all of the audio dramas she did, but with the BBC, where she did audio dramas with Tom and with John, and then later on her work with Big Finish. Was it four and a half seasons? I thought it was three and a half seasons. Sarah Jane Adventures was four and a half seasons. It ended all probably right. through season five. Plus all there right. was the pilot, which was a New Year's special. So yeah. four oh, and a half yeah. seasons in a special. In terms of other acting roles after Sarah Jane, you know, it, watching that um, documentary that I watched last night, Liz never really had the big breakthrough that those who worked with her felt she deserved. After she left Doctor Who, she was in a show called Take My Wife, which had six episodes. She was in a show called Number Time for a number of episodes and Peak Practice for a number of episodes. Barry Letts brought her back to work on several projects, including the amazing <laughs> Gulliver and Lilliput. If you haven't seen it, find it. It is fantastic. And didn't he do a version of Alice in Wonderland as well? He did, where she played the Dormouse. Mm-hmm. Um, which, it, I've, there's a little clip of it in the documentary I was watching. Um, and it was just it was just funny. Um, but Barry would regularly reach out to Liz being like, hey, do you want to be in this thing I'm doing? <laughs> What was that thing she did, which was like sort of like a Blue Peter derivative? Yeah, so I, I couldn't find the name of it. Um, I need to go looking in her IMDb. I think, oh, I was only looking at her actor. I didn't look at where she appeared as herself. Um, but yeah, so she did a sort of a Blue Peter type thing where she would basically go visiting all of these different places, usually with her daughter, Sadie, um, and do sort of documentary style things. with. So I think she did two types of those. I think she did one in the 70s on her own. And she would have done one in the 80s or 90s with Sadie. Um, because that was a nice way to help Sadie see things. So there's one where she mm. goes to see an oil rig. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure she's wearing her Suntaran Experiment yellow rubber ducky or yellow rubber ducky colored uh, rainbow. She, she is. Yeah. Uh, I think I would... No, sorry. I'm, just, I'm trying to look at her Wikipedia thing to see if there's anything there. Yeah. It'll be under like an appearance as herself. I, I forgot to check it last night when I was going through it. Um, so there's still a lot more we're going to talk about when it comes to the character of Sarah Jane, when it comes to Liz. As we mentioned, Sarah Jane Adventures ran for four and a half seasons. And I don't know, like eventually when we get there in our timeline wise, we may have to do like a, a spin-off pod just for those. <laughs> um, but that stopped after four and a half seasons when Elizabeth Slayton passed away on April 19th, 2011 from cancer. Which is why your earlier comment around people working near nuclear power stations getting cancer hits differently. Because um, uh, I think Mary Tam, who plays Romana One, uh, Deborah, um, the Watling, yeah, and I think Caroline John all also suffered from cancer and mm-hmm. now this it just again might be association due to filming locations for Doctor Who because it was a BBC thing um, just kind of like an op-ed type thing but yeah, yeah. 
that ended on a sad note. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to end it on a sad note. I know. Uh, also, Andy Pandy, for anyone yeah. who's curious about her Andy Pandy overalls, which is what that costume was officially called, a, yeah. the overalls were bought in a shop, and the only thing they changed to make them not off the peg or off the rack were the three little stars hmm. that are on the bib. <laughs> um, but Andy Pandy was a UK TV character in the God who knows when, like, black and white character uh, mm. from a kids program that wore striped pajamas. Yeah. Um, which now just starts me comparing the Andy Pandy outfit to bananas and pajamas, but that's a different program. <laughs> So, we have now come to the character discussion component of it. So, uh, this week we have, as always, the Doctor. We have Andy Pandy, played by Sarah Jane Smith. <laughs> Prominent characters of uh, Doctor, or sorry, Professor Watson, and the villain, Eldred. I also included Carter in Prominent Characters. Just, I think he deserves a mention. Um, but we can get to that when we get there. Yeah, we can get that when we get there. Because like, I suppose in my head is that like he's in the first two episodes. About halfway through episode one, he is on he he then falls under Eldred's sway. So he then stops becoming like a, an individual character. But we but can... it takes a while for the sway to come in as well. Yeah. Um cool. So will we do um will we leave Sarah Jane till the end or what way do you want to do it? I think so. This is, we'll leave Sarah Jane till the end. Because this is your show, because you get to go first. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll do the Doctor first, then we'll do oh. our prominent characters. Mm-hmm. Then we'll do Eldred, and then we'll circle back around to Sergeant. Okay. I love the Doctor in the story. Hmm. Strangely, one of the reasons why I love him so much is because we can see that he's flawed. He doesn't trust Eldred 100%, but he does trust Eldred enough to take them back to Castria support them through the chamber to kind of bash humanity a little bit Hmm. in the sense of like why did they attack me oh because they attack things they don't understand and whatever and while you know it's admirable i include it as a flaw because he has a person standing right next to him who he went into her mind who doesn't trust eldred Hmm. And he should really pay attention to her. <laughs> but I kind of like it because it shows that he is flawed. And it kind of shows this whole idea that we often get with the Doctor. That, you know, it's not about destroying something. You know, talk it through. Find a common ground. There's always a better way. Um, but I like that here we can see that sometimes that thinking of the Doctor is that sort of, oh, you're always blowing things up. Oh, sometimes guns aren't the answer mm-hmm. can be flawed mm-hmm. I quite like that his reaction to Sarah's situation is brilliantly done by Tom whether it's his shock and fear after the explosion his defense of her against Watson his reaction to her having to leave all of it is absolutely phenomenal and yeah. one of the things I love as well is that his playful nature with Sarah is really on show here. And we'll talk about that more, I think, when we get to Sarah Jane as a character, because a lot of it comes from her. 
Mm-hmm. But there's one bit that I love. This, again, I've said this in trivia. There's mm-hmm. a lot of bits in the story I love, and I'll probably end up mentioning most, if not all of them. Um, but one of them I really love, just from a doctor perspective, is after the failed airstrike where he's going back in <laughs> to talk to Eldrad. And he's like, no, no, you stay here where it's safe. And she's like, okay. And you have the whole thing of her sort of getting a one over on Watson and just being like, I'm not going to, which is brilliant. Hmm. She sort of runs up after him and sort of skips along beside him. He's like, if I told you to stay behind, you did. <laughs> he's like, but I worry about you. He's like, I worry about you too. And the fact that he doesn't like berate her for it or yeah. anything, it's like, okay, we'll both be careful. Okay, so. I I thought you were going to say uh, after the failed explosion where like she's oh no that's it, that's in my Sarah Jane bit because that's a Sarah Jane <laughs> yeah well, well like I think like he he kind of takes that off her like because it's... well yeah but it's, it's her yeah. questions on that uh, just... yeah uh, okay we'll leave that but, um, alone for um, yeah we'll loop back to on to that yeah but I do think this is a really good I think it's a really good Doctor story in general mm. it shows a lot of the highlights about the Doctor um but it definitely shows his relationship with Sarah yeah um and you know. I said, even just going back to like the first five minutes, his shock and fear after the explosion, mm-hmm. where he thinks she's buried, yeah, you know, or dead, is, or dead, you know, is phenomenal. His concern for her when he realizes that she's been taken over by something, his defense of her against everybody else, the fact that like he doesn't like that Watson's yelling at her, he's like, you know, mm-hmm. stop, like you know, she wasn't aware of what she was doing or whatever. Um, I just think it's just a really strong friendship story, mm. if nothing else. And then, yeah. of course, the Doctor being awesome at other stuff, obviously, you know, where he doesn't really science it up in the same way. It does have, like, he is looking into things from a scientific perspective and stuff like that. Um, but really, I think it's the dynamics here and the fact that we see him flawed in a not 100% detrimental way. <laughs> like his, mm. his flaw causes a problem. But, like, Sarah wasn't hurt because of his flaw. And people didn't yeah. die because of his flaw. Yeah. Um. So I can kind of let him pass on that. How about you? Um. No, I agree with uh, pretty much everything you said. Um. I like seeing his inquisitive nature. Like, the, trying to push for the diplomatic approach. You know, like, like, why should, like we should speak to Aldrad. You know, why don't we try to speak? And the thing is, even after the failed missile strike, he doesn't berate them. He doesn't like mock them or bash them and say anything like that. It's like, now we should, like, I think again, we should really try for the diplomatic approach. Like, whereas I think maybe the third doctor would have been a bit snarky. Mm. That I didn't really pick up on that here. Yeah. Um, uh, we see his bravery, like, you know, the willingness to push himself in danger to protect others, uh, like, especially Sarah Jane, but like the whole thing of uh, he doesn't know that character is under Eldrad's spell. So it's like, you know, I'm going to go through the ducks myself. No. Uh, or when he offers to go in to, um, to get her out of the reactor and Watson's like, no, we have the radiation team. They mm-hmm. can do it. Um, So like, I like that. But again, as you said, flawed here, because it's always great to see him caught on the hop because mm-hmm. he is tricked by Eldrad. He is. Yeah. And like, you know, he's the sort of like, I'm not entirely sure about you. But he's still willing to give the benefit for the doubt, and it comes back to to bite him, and it's it's great because he plays as like he does it in such a way like that he's like shocked, in the sense of like you're you said you were a person of science, you said like you you had you what you told us gave us this impression of like 
possibly a, a bit too driven, but a mm. very altruistic, you know, I did it for my people type thing, you know? And then to realize that he's played a part in like bringing a mass murdering psychopath back to power. Mm. It's, it's a very human moment from him, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, oh, I, I forgot to mention in the trivia section, sorry. Um, the very first thing of Doctor Who I ever saw in terms of media, like I'd read, I'd heard some stuff, I'd read some stuff, I, I think I read a story or two, but the first thing I ever saw of TV was the last 15 minutes of part four. So I saw from when Eldred is told that he is king of nothing up until Sarah Jane's departure. And so I just watched it, not realizing that I was watching like this monumental piece of the show's <laughs> history, you know. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, and then it was just a case of waiting for UK TV gold to eventually start showing it on a much more frequent basis. And this, this is before the revival ever came about. Like, mm. So, um, but yeah, no, I, it, this is a really good Doctor story. It, it is. It's interesting that both of our first Doctor Who stories we ever watched were Sarah Jane stories. Yes, that is true. Or stories that had Sarah Jane in them. Mm-hmm. Ooh, so we're going to skip Sarah Jane. Yep. And we'll come back to her in a little mm-hmm. while. So, so many notes on her. <laughs> and so we're on I, the prominent characters. So you just did Watson. I have nothing on character because, like, it's... Actor's name escapes me now. Sorry, I have to look at his name. It, it, it's Rex Robinson. It's another solid performance by him because mm. he was great as Doctor Tyler in uh, True Doctors, and he was great as Gebek mm. in. And like you know, he's good here, but as I said, I didn't think there was enough of a substantial character to warrant a look into. Yeah, I think the reason why I include him as a prominent character is because he starts off. As, we think he's going to be the story based companion. Mm-hmm before Eldred fully takes over his mind in episode two. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to give him a look in just from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really have a whole lot to say mm-hmm. about him. He seems like s- a nice bloke and he dies a horrible death. I think what my thought process was that like, if I had to talk about Carter, then I feel like that uh, Miss Jackson should also be given a kind of a look-see because she's in it just as much as he is. In my yeah, but opinion. she doesn't interact with the Doctor as much. No. She which, doesn't. Was, which was my which was my differing point. Yeah, yeah. Basically, more mostly with Carter, it's just I really like Rex as an actor. I loved him as Gebek. I thought he was very mm. good as Doctor Tyler. I love him here. I think mm. Car- I feel bad for Carter because Carter seems like a nice guy. Like he doesn't freak out over the fact that Sarah Jane hit him and stole the hand. No, he's clearly just worried about her, and he dies a horrible death. Yeah, that he but didn't I- deserve. And that's the thing is like we've we've talked about it before. We how we like how the the show has never shied away from giving an emotional punch to a character death. Mm. Like we talked about um Bert in uh Green Death. Mm. Um we talked about the engineer from Ark and Space, his name I can't remember. Oh yeah. Uh yeah, him. It's like these really good characters. Mm. That unfortunately, like they're they're killed off, and it's like, yeah, okay, like, you know, I suppose in one sense we don't want the companions to die, but nor do we like characters that we're actually getting attached to to die either. Mm. And Carter, I think we were more so like attached to Rex than we were to Doctor Carter, but you know, we've often said like we like seeing the same people come back. Mm. I recently uh, made a comment that um, oh, people ask like about 
um or what did they think was like their favorite villain performance from like you know just like a like a one-off person mm. now a lot of it was based on um i think it was like harry lloyd from family of blood mm. but i put down philip maddock as the warlord and as solon because he's just fantastic in those two stories. Yeah. So on the good guy side of things, we have guys like um, Rex, and we also have um, Bernard Kay, um, you know, Salah Dean and mm. um, the guy from The Mining Planet, and Tyad, obviously Tyler in uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I, think, I think the real reason why I left character in was because I kind of wanted more of him oh yeah he's a he's a character that you you kind of wanted to be the story-based companion you know um absolutely but we do have watson and i'm not going to complain about like if if carter's death led to the screen time that we had with watson i'm not going to complain yeah i would agree with that i would agree with that um the thing i find interesting about watson is watson is one of those characters you could easily hate Mm. if it wasn't for his heart Mm. He keeps calling Sarah a lunatic. Yeah. He doesn't listen to the doctor for ages. Mm. And he goes into the building intending to shoot Eldred, even though he knows the doctor is trying the peaceful solution. Yeah. And yet I love him because he has so much heart. Mm. He's the captain who will go down with his ship. No question asked, no second thoughts. It's his duty. And he's also someone who clearly loves his family. Now, that phone call from Watson to his family. Oh, that's... It's super sappy. Yeah. But Glynn sells it so well. He really does, because the the first person he speaks to is his daughter. Yeah. And it's... He doesn't let the stress of the situation get to him. And, you know, I have... He reminds me of someone... And I'm going to explain why he reminds me of someone once you're finished with your notes. Well, that was pretty much it for me with him. Like, I, I think he's okay. a great character. I think he's a great, well-rounded character mm. in the sense that he has bits that irritate the shit out of me. Mm. But he also has heart. And mm. you can't deny that. Um, the person that he reminds me of mm. is first two seasons General Hammond from Stargate SG-1. I can see that. And the reason why Hammond springs to mind is, again, a phone call. Do you remember the episode where, um, I think this might actually be from season three now that I think of it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember when Daniel go, has like an out-of-body experience? It's the, it's the Crystal Skull episode. Yeah. And everyone's looking for Daniel. And like uh, Hammond gets a call from his granddaughter asking, is he coming to the school play? And he says mm-hmm. that he can't because a friend of his is missing and he wants to try and find his friend. The the interaction he has with his granddaughter on the phone reminds mm. me of Watson here with his wife and his children. Yeah. Um, what I liked about him is that he feels like such a real person. Mm. Like he's he's flawed as we've seen. Like he's not. Um, like he isn't perfect because you know of the shoot first attitude. Like you know, let's send in the planes to bomb the shit out of the complex. You know, consequences afterwards be za- damned. Um, has a bit pretty abrasive nature, like you know mm. when he brushes the doctor and character off, which is like you know just leave me alone. I'm trying to sort this thing out, you know. Mm. Um, and so there's th- there's that side of things, and as you said, the gun. Uh, now 
I don't know if that was deliberately to shoot Eldred, more so as like he's still uncertain. He thinks that the Doctor and Sarah Jane might still be a small bit pie in the sky, and he has it as a preventative measure. But the fact well, that no, the fact that he shot he Eldred shoot, unprovoked, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Like I was like, like just, as I was speaking, I was like, oh yeah, that he happened. Hit corner. Yeah. Um. So, but like, it's this, as you say, it's this humanity to him of like he's a human person like this is i think this is the first time we've ever seen a bureaucratic official that isn't tied to units in some way that actually has a stake outside of the story like he has a wife has a family has a wife and children um but like you know last being the last person to stay behind even like you know and again not not just once but twice and is fully willing to accept his fate because that's his job. His job is to make sure the people under him are safe. Mm. And I swear to God, this isn't my fondness for his brother. <laughs> He's the, the, the actor's brother, like, coloring my viewpoint for him. I legitimately really enjoyed Watson as a character because he felt real. Mm. One of the things I loved about in the making of this story documentary on the Blu-ray, um, Glenn says himself that you know, a lot of people say that Doctor Who is a children's program. But he made it come. The Doctor Who was on in the like five to six o'clock time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was on, you know, it was a tea time show. Yeah. That the family would watch together. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you have the 10 to 16 year olds. Mm-hmm. We also have the 16 to 90 year olds. Mm-hmm. And so he was saying that like when he was given this character, he didn't look at it from a children's program perspective. He just looked at as a character. I think a lot of the best guest actors we have seen on the show are ones who treat the character as just a character, like a real character. The same way you would in a play or in a movie or in a drama for adults. It's He doesn't baby it. Mm. Which I think leads to a more real performance. There's no mm. hamming it up. No. Because it's a kids program. Um, and he does a really good job. In fairness, I think Rex is the same. I think Rex, again, just plays the character as is. And to be honest, I'll, I'll say it now. This story, great guest cast. Mm. Oh, hugely. Like, there's, there's not, there isn't, like, a bad performance, like, from anyone. Mm. Um, like, the only person that kind of springs to mind when I think about them treating the show as just a kind of kid's dribble mm-hmm. is, do you remember the guy that played Bruce in... Um, enemy of the world yeah yeah he didn't feel like that it was like you know serious television or whatever yet he gave a fantastic performance which is just i don't know it's like some sort of weird counter protest i don't know but uh, yeah like if you think back to like some people that we've seen like if uh julian glover as Mm -hmm. richard the lionheart we're going to see him again later Mm -hmm. on but not hammy at all played it like it was a serious period piece drama um Again, we talked about guys like Bernard, like people that continually show up, you know, Bernard Kay, Philip Maddock. They treat it like it's either a legitimate piece of theatre or a legitimate piece of drama. They yeah. don't, there's no real moustache twirling villains as such, mm. you know, which is great. But it's always nice to hear the actor call out that oh, as well. And yeah. they're aware that, like, you could have phoned it in a bit. Hmm. You could have hammed it up a bit. But you didn't. And it's always nice to know that people go into the role, you know, maybe they that's just how they act. And so they don't know any different. Um, But really good to know that they go into the role knowing who the target audience is, but also knowing who watches the show. 
It's not mm. just the tent of funerals. Mm. It's the family. Yeah. And putting in a performance that the family can appreciate, which I love. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love it when actors call it out because, yeah. you know, particularly, you know, when we look back now, you know, with a modern lens, like, oh, classic Doctor Who was so cheesy and blah, blah, blah. It's like, ah, was it though? Okay. Okay. The effects and production, as we've said, may have yeah. been cheesy, but families watch this for a reason. Yeah. Families watch this for characters and story, and that's what they got. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. So then we have our villain of the piece, mm. uh, played by two different people, mm-hmm. uh, which is Eldred. Yes. Megalomaniac with mental powers is a scary combination. Mm-hmm. And it's really scary when you think that the last time we saw the Doctor brought to his knees was by Sutek. Yeah. And the fact that Eldrad was able to dip into his mind mm-hmm. and not only pull out the information that she needed, but also like mentally incapacitate him, bring him to his knees, is scary when you think about it in that context. Mm. No offense to Stephen Thorne, who I think did an amazing job of what he was given. I do think Eldred's final form is not as scary as um, the Judith form. <laughs> so my, we, it's interesting that we talk about um, mustache twirling villains and stuff mm. like that because uh, Judith, I would say much like Glynn, mm. play, plays it very seriously. Mm. Whereas Stephen, God love him, I think he does ham it up a bit too much. Yeah. I think the thing with Stephen is that like, you know, and even like Philip Hinchcliffe, like in the behind the sofa thing, like the bit where he actually does the like Mwahaha, laugh. Um, yeah. Philip's like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think I cut Stephen a little bit of slack here because he has a lot less maneuverability mm. and he can do less acting with his face. Yeah, he's hunched over a lot. It's like he's giving his best Richard the Third performance. Yeah, but thing. his outfit is not as comfortable as hers. No. Um, and again, it's down to direction. Do you know? I mean, that maybe that wasn't Stephen's choice. <laughs> maybe mm. it was Lenny Main yeah. who said, mm. "You're now a psycho, psycho lunatic, so play a psycho lunatic." Um, what I think that I think give, makes Eldred so scary, though, is that particularly the human esque female form, which me and Paddy were discussing earlier, mm. that originally Paddy wrote all the notes as they them. Mm-hmm. And then realized that people were referring to Eldred as he later on, so he had to backpedal yeah. and do everything else. Yep. Um, but they sort of say that like Eldred's female form is based on Sarah Jane, because Sarah Jane was the first being on Earth that Eldred interacted with. Mm. That form, the fact that it's not as clunky, the fact that it's more streamlined, more feminine is based on Sarah Jane. And there's something, call it sexist or whatever, there is something about a more feminine portrayal of a character who can go from cordial to playful to vindictive and cruel in a heartbeat. That is a scary combination. Um, I don't think, like, I don't know what argument could be made for it being sexism. Like, she fucking nails it. But like, I think I think when it's a woman doing it, it, it somehow hits differently. I don't know why. And that's why I think it might be a little bit of a sexist thing in my brain. But I think when women do that, 
it hits differently. I maybe it's because she's doing all that while being sexy at the same time. Possibly, but see, like it's like if you think about like other characters of a very similar name, like you no, know, again, look if we just go into SG one related stuff, like you have mm-hmm. Osiris and Hathor, because uh, they have that that. The, the very sleek, sexy look, but also the voice, and then um, even Hela from Thor Ragnarok. Mm. It's like this: there's this assurance and power with a, a dark charisma to them as well, mm. and it's it just makes them compelling. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Did you and have I, any other comments about? Oh, oh, I, oh! Absolutely, I think Eldred like, should probably stick to a more feminine form because they're way, way more subtle. <laughs> like, you know, it's that. Um, I wonder what things would have been like if the first three minutes of this story were cut, because it would be very interesting to see. It would be very interesting what our impression of Eldred would be if, much like the Doctor and Sarah Jane, we, we only knew. Know. We didn't know if we only mm. see them from when the hand is found, because obviously the start leaves it vague enough, but at the same time, you kind of get the impression that Eldred is bad news. Whereas yeah, you could kind of believe Eldred, mm. like the story that Eldred spins to the doctor still makes sense in the context mm. of what we see in the first three minutes. Yeah. Because like, is this, and again, this is down to the actress because I think the actress really sells this thing of that you're making, you're trying to get the audience to figure out whether it's um, an actual villain or a wronged person bent on their getting their revenge. Mm. Uh, and so Judith did a great job with that, like because it's just the little side looks and like the smiles and you know things like that. It's that's how. The performance was great, and look, we've expressed our fondness for Stephen before. Like we thought his role as Azal, he was great. Uh, Omega was just fantastic. He was mm. this grandiose performance, and I think he kind of, I think he was so well known for that that he probably that maybe that's why Lenny kind of directed him to give. It's like oh, you were so good as D two characters, but I don't feel. If you're essentially the same person, I don't see how he the, the emotions and like the sort of like the evilness could have been ramped up to what it was when Steven started portraying Eldred. Yeah, I think this is this may be what Philip Hinchcliffe was getting at when he said the back half mm. wasn't as strong as the first half, and maybe just down to the dialogue. You mm. know, Stephen wasn't given as interesting dialogue as Judith was. No. And he um, has all, all the capabilities to pull it pull it off because we've yeah. seen it. We've seen him do it. Yeah. Um, but there, there was something about that bulkier form hmm. um, that, I, I don't know, who knows, maybe they tried it more subtle and with the bulky form it just didn't work. Because like... I mean, if the rehearsal it, room is hmm. for, do you know what I mean? So maybe they did try it more subtle hmm. and it didn't work. Hmm. Because possibly, yeah, because I'm just thinking about like last week now, um, Norman Jones as Hieronymus, who has like that very powerful, like, boom, like he was that very powerful kind of voice that is just resonant. Mm. Like, if you had like that kind of performance from the male Eldred, 
then it's like you know it's less sort of you know mustache twirling panto villain mm. but still gets across like the same points as we've seen from the female Eldrad mm. um but I think the concept of the Kestrians that they can or maybe it's just Eldrad himself because you know of his science um acumen that like this ability to reconstitute yourself in a form based on like an imprint from whatever it is you touch you know mm. I, I think that's also, pretty, I think maybe that's pretty the fact cool. that like this is the real Eldrad and now that he has his true form back he doesn't need to play the part anymore po- quite possible in um, which case I'm, I'm amazed that he wasn't booted off that fucking planet already. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I will say though is that you know another thing that may have helped make um, final form Eldrad a bit better is the fact that a lot of the story is given up to the ending. Mm. Do you know, there's a good two minutes there that, you know, it doesn't seem that long to you as the reviewer, but in script terms, there was a lot given up to the ending. Mm. And, you know, if Sarah Jane hadn't been leaving in the story, would more time have been given to Castrian Eldred? I think it's like six or seven minutes is the is the um, the goodbye section. Yeah, it's quite long. Yeah, the, like that's... from the moment they get in the TARDIS to the end of the episode is quite long, yeah, and so that's, that's a... a lot to take away from the resolution of the story itself, like of the plot. Yeah, that's nearly a quarter of the episode, like so. Yeah, it. so uh, it's amazing. Mm. But oh. in terms of for Stephen, I think cutting that much out of the resolution probably didn't do him any favours. Um, one last thing I think is a very interesting point. Mm. It, and it kind of really... I think this is possibly the, the biggest thing that gets across just how dangerous Eldred is. Is that an entire civilization chose mass suicide rather than face the idea of him coming back. That is, That is the one thing where it's like... You know, I compared him to Sutek mm. earlier on. Like I said, like the fact that they have this ability to regrow themselves from these crystal samples or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they chose not to. Mm. Not only did they choose not to live that way, like in that sort of underground whatever. But they knew that their only hope of salvation from that life was Eldred coming back. And they didn't want that. No. A one in like 130 million chance that Eldra mm. would come back. And Eldra would was... be the only one who could get them out of the underground life they would have been living. And so they chose not to live that life. Mm. And to not ever give Eldra the ability to have that power over them again. Which is scary in its own right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's whenever you think of like, you know, these, like, missing civilizations or like these extinct but no signs as to what caused the extinction or anything mm. like that it's always like oh what is the mystery did they die out was it disease was it whatever and then it's like well in this example we're to- flat out told we couldn't face the fucking possibility of you coming back and taking control again yeah not even the Which Daleks is... have that fucking thing <laughs> yeah I mean that's fucking <laughs> yeah that's fucking next level shit mm. like yeah so I think we've beaten around the bush as long as we can. Uh, so <clears throat> in the behind the sofa 
um, watch along on the Blu-ray. Philip Hinchcliffe describes Sarah Jane in this story as a very spooky doll. And I must say, I agree. (laughs) Mm. Well, she didn't have a whole lot to do the end of episode three, the start of episode four. My God, does the rest of it make up for it? Mm. Possessed Sarah is best Sarah. And Liz does it so well. Mm. The outfit helps. The hair helps. Mm-hmm. But she is so childlike looking, and she's so much shorter than everybody else. Mm. Like even Tom Baker said that, like at one point he wasn't sure if it was Liz or if it was the character, sort of looking up at female Eldred as if to go, like, mm. "You don't have to be tall to be <laughs> smart. You don't have to be tall to be sexy." She kept giving her the side eye because she was so fucking tall. <laughs> <laughs> but <clears throat> possessed Sarah is phenomenal liz does so much with her eyes to get that across it is Mm. amazing like you know rex did a good job the guy who played what's his face um driscoll driscoll did a good job but like liz just sells it and she sells it so well Mm. (laughs) possessed sarah like i said is best sarah Mm. um but the thing is that like in this story, you could say, like, oh, Sarah just gets possessed. But she's the one who kicks off the whole plot. Her being possessed, it's not like with Mask of Mandragora, for example. Mm. Sarah yeah. was hypnotized. And we kind of felt they didn't really do as much with it as they could have. No, and like, that was a huge talking point for us last week. Yeah. Is that, like, they, they didn't play out as nearly it should have. Whereas here, we get, like, she fucking kills people. And knocks them out and, like, causes them to end up dying anyway she she, no she doesn't kill anyone she stuns them oh i thought she stunned the guy at the gate yeah yeah she stunned the guy at the gate she stunned the technician it's when it's when the doctor tries to get involved after driscoll gets the ring is when things ramp up to the lethal level yeah um but like her being possessed in this case isn't just you know an inspiration for the doctor to solve the problem it kicks off the entire plot. You know, and you're just as interested in following Possessed Sarah around. Which I, I, I'd love. I will say one thing about the filmatography for this. So they obviously had this huge um, location to deal with. But like the way they shot it makes no fucking sense whatsoever. <laughs> you're going up ladders and then across and up and up and yeah. over and up and over into a corridor that's clearly a set. And then back yeah. it up and over to get to the control room, and then go down through it all again to go to the contamination room, mm. and then go a different way. It's like you were loving the set, lads, but like the yeah. structure that you've built it makes no fucking sense. Whatsoever. You're not tr- you're you're not trying to run a fucking Terminator here. Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but the thing is, she also has some humorous moments. Mm. Um, you know, some some yeah, she has many humorous moments, like when. You know, the doctor, when she wakes up, from, like after her possession, it's just humorous moment after humorous moment, to be honest. Do you know, like he, like when the doctor like wants to look into her mind, he picks her up, he's like, yo, you know, what do you want? He's like, yo, focus. He's like, oh no, not again. <laughs> Please stop doing this to me. Yeah. Or like you mentioned the bit with, you know, when there's the unexplosion. Mm. And she's like, are we dead? No. Are you sure? <laughs> There's something about the way she asked the question. Or like the, so funny. 
the the other one which is um when the planes do their flyby and like uh Watson tells everyone like to open their mouth but hold their nose to yeah. avoid the perforated eardrum and she yeah. comes up and she's like going what not happened and the doctor just like again <laughs> holding his nose just kind of goes that's right <laughs> like, um, that was funny there was also like you know they go into the ship she asks the question or no she they go into the TARDIS the doctor and Eldred are talking about the coordinates she fucks off hmm. and just comes back eating a banana or like when they first meet Eldrad it's one of my favourite Liz reactions and this is the thing like this story even when Liz isn't doing anything in 3 and 4 she's reacting which is great is when they first meet Eldrad and when Eldrad went to the doctor's like this is Sarah Jane Sarah say hi or say hello she's like hi (laughs) she doesn't know how to react it's just so good Um, Mm -hmm. the other thing is I love like when she's hypnotised by Tom Mm-hmm. By, the, by the doctor like to you know, understand Eldred she clearly ends up going walkabout mm-hmm. they don't stay in the decontamination room she starts wandering off and he just walks along beside her continuing to ask her questions it's like maybe you should have kept her contained in one location mm-hmm. <laughs> it works great but whatever um, I have seen people in the past call out that she's very childish in her departure she basically throws a strop mm-hmm. and then goes and she says you know i'm gonna pack my goodies and i'm going home and even like the intonation that she uses is very childish mm. which i think is a valid call out but i don't think it's a bad thing and it kind of leads me to the interesting thing about sarah's character development mm. and you and i have discussed this off air before yes we have for me, I think Sarah has the most interesting character development and it's such an interesting character study in terms of long-term effects of travel with the Doctor. If you watch her stories from Time Warrior to now, okay, she becomes more used to time travel and aliens and all that kind of stuff. Mm. I mean, she want, like I said, she wanders off to get a banana when Eldred comes up with the TARDIS as opposed to sticking around you know, to pay attention or she just wanders off to get a banana. She runs into danger, whatever her style changes right she goes from sort of business casual you know suit pants you know business casual dresses and whatever to you know more relaxed clothing to eventually the andy pandy overalls which makes her look like a toddler Mm. her hair also goes through the same change of style Mm. but her overall mentality changes she becomes more childish in her demeanor in the way she interacts with the doctor. And this is something that Liz did a lot of that herself. Do you know? And we can kind of, we didn't see as much of it with John. I think with Doc John, she was still very much you're the feminist and mm-hmm. you're the professional and whatever. But as we see her with Tom, with a more childish doctor we see her childish nature coming out more and more. And I've read some really interesting sort of character studies of the character of Sarah Jane, which is that like in universe, it mm-hmm. was probably the best thing ever that Sarah Jane left when she did, because she was kind of losing herself. Hmm. She was no longer the independent journalist. She was now the best friend to a giant child. And so Mm. herself behaved like a giant child. 
while still I'm not going to take anything away from you know the decisions she makes and her bravery and whatever but her mentality was clearly changing by being around him for so long and it's something that like I've read numerous fan fictions on the subject which is that like you know why did you never go back for her did you see what happened to her well she was with me for so long she lost connection with what made her who she was her her earth self was gone maybe we should never open a business together because this is so like, <laughs> like, 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 like you know whatever you tell me stories about you being in work it's like this, oh, this is very professional all this kind of stuff and i'm just kind of wondering would it be as professional if i was in that room <laughs> <laughs> but i think i think it makes for an interesting character i think of all the companions hmm. we've seen it's it's like a sort of weird development in reverse because we saw joe go from like this ditzy fucking kid to up until her last story a very confident self-assured woman um then we had like sarah jane like a confident self-assured woman but become a kid but but the difference is 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 the difference the difference well not only that but didn't lose any skill sets Joe gained skill sets. Sarah Jane carried them kind of through the whole way and developed a few bit more. Kind of like, as I said, I'm going through notes for the ramblings. She reminds you of, in a sense of Barbara, because Mm. Barbara had all her skills and all her abilities at the start, just needed the scenario to unlock them. And even as the stories went on, like uh, the chase, Barbara there with the fucking stick going pew, 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 pew. (laughs) It's kind of reminiscent if you think about it. It is a bit, but I think, I think that's probably the closest companion comparison we can get for her. It is. It but did. because Sarah Jane was on for so much longer, mm. it went further. Mm. Which is why I think it makes an interesting character study for prolonged travel with the Doctor away from what makes you you. Mm. There is one other character comparison. Uh, I, I completely agree, again, with everything that you said, because like, you know we've had these discussions off air. It'd be very strange if I had complete disagreement with you on air. <laughs> <laughs> um, she she's the first companion. I have I have other things to kind of I think just mm. say, but like she's the first companion since Victoria that highlight that reminds us that life in the TARDIS isn't a picnic. Yeah, it's not always a picnic because Victoria's um, that's right, Fury from the Deep. Like she was like, I'm tired of like knowing, you know, if I'll. You know, if we'll survive, I'm tired of like you know constantly being wet and afraid and all this type of stuff. Mm. And it's like, it's a very valid point. Like you know, we're getting great enjoyment from these like uh, amazing adventures, but put yourself into those characters' shoes. It's fucking terrifying. And if that happens every single time you fucking land, yeah, it's, it's not it's not good. I get these so, like in Sarah Jane's rant, it's like, I'm sick of being shot at. I'm sick of being tired. I'm sick of being wet. I'm sick of being hypnotized left, right, and center. Yeah. You know, she's like being cold. She wants a bath. Or if I like uh, knowing whether I'm coming or going or have been. been. Yeah. Do you know? And the fact that, you know, at any other time, they probably would have talked it out. Mm. But what made it all the worse and prompted her, I'm going to pack my goodies and I'm going home. Mm. I said, I'm going to pack my goodies and I'm going Home and ultimately like two year old tantrum. <laughs> yeah. Is he wasn't listening to her. No. Do you know? And that sort of, you know, the fact that she says later on that she was only, she was clearly trying to get a reaction out of him. Mm. Do you know? To understand that her fears were valid. 
you know that her feelings were valid um mm-hmm. but yeah I, I think you're right i think victoria is probably the only one so yeah, i think if you take like victoria's reason for leaving mm-hmm. and barbara's development yeah of being like this sort of not like uptight teacher but sort of like stiff upper lip you know mm-hmm. yeah and sort of expand them by another year with yeah. the doctor you sort of you land get... with, with sarah jane at the end yeah um, I, I'm trying to think. Do I have anything else? Uh, that like I that you haven't mentioned. Um, like the terms of the hypnosis, it's completely different to last week because it's given a chance to breathe. It actually develops the plot. Uh, we get to see the amazing performance by Liz. Um, oh, um, she's she's a lot shrewder than the doctor is in this one. Because mm-hmm. she's the one that notices as they're going on that the booby traps are specifically designed to kill people like Castrians. Yeah. And he and he just kind of offhandedly assumes that, oh, well, we're in a solar system. Like, obviously, the two warring plants are in the same solar system, so maybe all life yeah, in but the he solar doesn't system. Yeah, but like, that is quite weird, though. But he doesn't... Yeah. He doesn't... Fucking, and, like, you know, to that point, like I was saying earlier, like, Eldred was in her head. Mm-hmm. She knows, at least subconsciously, that not all the glitters that gold, you know, like or just something rotten in the in the, in the state of Castria. Um, but yeah, like, when she thinks that they've crushed Eldred, she still feels bad. Well, yeah, like I suppose, like she's being shrewd, but she's not being heartless. Mm, exactly. Um, there is one interesting thing though and i, I kind of had to play it back is initially i thought she abandons the doctor in the reactor room but when I look back it's like she assumes that he's following on after her because hmm. you remember watson says we need to get out of here now because we only have like nine and a half minutes and she, she says come on doctor and tears off hmm. so i was like did she just fucking leave without him i was like no she just assumed that he was paying attention <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah um i think Probably the last thing is in relation to their final words, and it's like you know, she just very kind of pleadingly, but at the same time, uh, not beggingly says like you know, don't forget me. And he just goes, oh, don't you forget me? It's mm-hmm. like the sort of like you know, I could have gone with you forever type thing. Yeah, and like. We will get around to the stories eventually, but I think we've mentioned this before, but I'll say it again. Mm. A lot of people in the revival really connected with David Tennant. Mm-hmm. And they sort of see David Tennant's specials into his regeneration. It's like mm. one of their favorite stories. It's one of the most heart-wrenching for a lot of people. The last thing David Tennant filmed as the doctor before his official tenure ended so this Mm. is before he came back for anniversaries or whatever was actually an episode of the star jane adventures and that episode ended in a very similar way to this where he asks her not to forget him and she says no one's ever going to forget you as this nice sort of mirroring of the departure from Tom hmm. with the departure from Tennant which is very very it's very emotional it's a very emotional episode anyway 
I think um, like I know we've kind of kind of discussed it and stuff in the future. I think maybe like you know when we do eventually get to that time, we should actually just review the spin-offs. We should review Torchwood and we should review Sergio and Chronicles because. Sergio Adventures. Sorry, 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 sorry. I uh, younger than you. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Um, um, but yeah, because like I do really want to. I, I definitely want to explore the Sarah Jane Adventures more, hmm. um, and talk more about those stories because I love them a lot. Mm-hmm. I think Torchwood needs a good look in as well. It it does um, because if you think about it, Torchwood is it's a spin off solely based on the popularity of the revival. Versus Sarah Jane Adventures, which is a spinoff based on a classic and a, you know, a newfound love in the revival for the character. Because when yeah. she comes in, this, you know, school reunion, a lot of people are, oh, my God, who's this person? This is so cool. Um, yeah. There was one other thing, which is like a lot of people um, take a look at, you know, the, the goodbye is like a sort of like a romantic subtext. And it's like, I don't necessarily think it's romantic or there's a romantic inclination, but it's more along the lines of you have a deep love for a friend and companion that you, you don't want to go without, you know? Yeah. So this is something that predominantly came up in the revival Mm. because jumpy ahead of the timeline massively at this point. When Sarah Jane comes back in school reunion, there's obviously, or not obviously, but there is this combative nature between her and Rose and Mickey describes it as the missus and the ex Sarah Jane in this context being the ex and the fact that he doesn't talk about her ever the fact that he never came back for her ever and I've seen some people sort of say like but he never said he would and it's like but he also said that she was his best friend yeah and said till we meet again which implies that he would come back and visit at some mm. point. Um, and, you know, there is the call out at the end, which gets called out again in the Sarah Jane Adventures. It's like, oh, do you have someone in your life? Mm. And she says, no, that there was someone, but after him, no one could measure up. And people sort of took that to be like, oh, but there was no romance between the Doctor and the Companions in the classic era. And I was like, I think you can watch. I mean, I am a b- big Doctor and Sarah shipper anyway, right? Because mm. I love them. I particularly love Liz and, and Tom, um, mm. and shipping that like fourth Doctor and Sarah um, duo. But just because they didn't have a romantic relationship, and maybe she didn't love him romantically, doesn't mean that he can't ruin her for men forever. Mm-hmm. Because even if she didn't love him romantically what human can measure up to him they mm-hmm. they can't even measure up as a friend never mind anything else um so i don't i think you can take or leave the romantic subtext here depending on your personal preferences mm. um i don't think it was intended to be romantic but like i said Liz Layden did say herself that she didn't see sarah jane being married off it wouldn't make sense based off her connection with the doctor. Mm. Do you know? Um, so maybe there was meant to be a little bit of it there. Um, but I think it's more of a if you want to see it, you do. And if you don't, you don't. And neither, I don't think either one of those readings is necessarily wrong. Mm. Is my thought on that. Mm.
So overall time. Yes. Where Trish and I give our score, our thoughts on the final thoughts of the story, and give it a score of five. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the interesting thing, okay? Is that you have been a diehard Sarah Jane fan girl since as long as I've known you. Yes. <laughs> so I'm wondering, like, I know that we established that whoever set the socials at the start gets to go mm-hmm. first with the overall. But I don't know, I feel like I want you to have the final word on this. Okay, you can go first. Okay. Um, I think the fact that this is Sarah Jane's last story overshadows the fact that this is actually a really good story by itself. Like, it, it really does. Like, you, like, you always, like, when you know certain stories are about the companions leave, mm. you kind of forget to just actually enjoy the story, yeah. you know? And whether it be good or bad, like, you know, that's, that's the eye of the beholder. But you just need to forget, you need to forget about that someone's leaving and enjoy the actual story. Uh, and I really enjoyed this story. Performances by everyone were fucking brilliant. Uh, the design of the castrons is really cool. Even the male ones, because I, I liked King Rokan's look, mm. you know. I just think maybe Steven's costume was just a bit too, uh, maybe wasn't the best fitting. But I like the idea of them. Uh, oh, I had to look up who Ro- uh, King Rokan was. It's Ro- it's our good friend Roy Skelton who does all yeah. the fucking voices. <laughs> um, completely unrecognizable. Um, uh, I like, as I said, I like the idea of how Kestrians could potentially like have forms based on whatever their imprint is, or at least um, Aldrad could. Mm. Um, I think it's very tight in the pacing. Doesn't drag. Like first three store, first three episodes for such a confined setting, it just fucking keeps you ticking over it's a fairly fast story in that regards i think um then obviously we have to discuss the ending uh, it's it's a fucking doozy like you know because it in a way it echoes um i suppose in show and out of show it echoes uh william hartnell and william russell and jacqueline hill mm-hmm. and obviously you know the first doctor Ian and barbara it's like mm-hmm. it's life bleeding into the show and so that because we talked about that was kind of an emotional goodbye as well. Maybe not such a great story, you know. We had our issues with it, but it's a very heart wrenching goodbye. Uh, and I and obviously as well, there was John and Katie's goodbye, which their personal life, you know, they were really good friends. We weren't too fucking got on the, the goodbye as well within the story itself, from what I remember. But it's two best friends being forced to say goodbye to each other, you know. Mm. And it's not nice to see, but it's done. It's done brilliantly. Um, and the best thing about it is that, like, her leaving isn't alluded to throughout the entire story. Yeah. Like, you don't have like like we talked about Fury from the Deep. Like Victoria is sort of like that for the entirety of the story. Mm. Very reminiscent of the chase, the desire to actually finally go home only really springs up when the Ian and Barbara have access to a knowledge on a time machine. Mm. You know. Um, I know that they maybe said like you know just to kind of get a bit fucking tired of the life, but the actual arguments spring up when the the time dictates, much like here, you know when she's like I'm fucking sick of you know, like this kind of just venting away. Um, so this is a five out of five for me. And again, it's not because it's oh Sarah Jane's last story or anything like that. As I said, it's because it's actually a really good story in and of itself. 
So you started with a five and you finished with a five. I did. Run. Mm-hmm. So for me, I love and hate the story. Of course. I hate do. it because it's Sarah's last story. Yeah. But oh, what fun it is to watch it. Um, I think as a story, this is actually incredibly interesting. Mm. Because there is a real world relation to the fear. Mm. If you think about it, this story was created in the 70s. Mm-hmm. There was people were terrified of nuclear power stations because of the Cold War, you know, the fear of you know nuclear war and stuff like that, and that bled over into mm-hmm. a fear of power stations. And in the real world, we know what impact a meltdown on a nuclear power station can have. Yeah. So it's one of those connections that when you see her sat just outside the reactor and we see like she and do you mind it's one of those things do you know what it reminded me of right in a completely different sense of possession i would like to make very clear but in an episode of tng that most people hate and i actually really like sub rosa when beverly gets the candle back on board the ship and she Mm. just you know sets it down lights it sits in the bed and just curls up her legs in front of it hugging her legs waiting for it to do what it's meant to do. Again, that was more from a sort of weird sexual frustration perspective. Mm-hmm. But here we see that same thing. You know, she goes into the thing. She doesn't even lock the door. She goes in, she puts the box on the floor, she opens the lid, and she sits there and holds her legs and waits. Mm. And there's this anxiety and this fear of like, please, 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 please work, please work, please work. Which is crazy because as a viewer, you're like, you're worried for Sarah Jane's mentality, but also like, you can see the Geiger counter mm. going up. You hear the sirens blazing. You see people running to escape the building. And it's not on an alien planet. It's not like some random made-up technology. It's a nuclear reactor, which we can relate to. I think basing it around that actually makes it all that more threatening. Do you know? And the fact that, like, Driscoll goes into the reactor core. Hmm. Do you know? And what happened to him? He he disintegrated. Like, what do you think happened to him? That's actually like sorry, but that's actually a really scary vid- uh, visual because he's holding the hand in yeah. like this sort of weird fucked up bridal procession. Yeah. Like you know, going like down the aisle, and it's like, and he walks so slowly and so on purpose. It's like. Like, that's probably like the hammer horror element to this yeah. fucking story like it's um yeah that yeah, was like, creepy I mean, as like, hell we didn't really talk about the hand itself do you no. know which is scary in its own right um then we have like the whole idea of a villain that from what we see on par with Sutek can control people's minds can invade mm-hmm. the doctor's mind can cause him pain and is willing to do so just to see if he's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. That's really scary. And like, you know, Liz's performance throughout is phenomenal. Like, Liz, we'll talk about this more in our rambling. Liz never phones it in. Ever. No. But this is no. a story where 
her performance for the first two episodes is front and center. And for the second two episodes, her reactions are constantly on point in the background. Mm. Our connection to the story, which is the companion, is always on point. The supporting cast is phenomenal. I know Philip Hinchcliffe wasn't a big fan of the second half. He thought the stuff on Castria wasn't great. I thought the stuff on Castria was fine. Mm. Um, was it groundbreaking television? No. But it was this unraveling of you know, Sarah realizing more and more she was right. Mm. And the doctor not realizing until the very end that he was wrong. Mm. Which is interesting. Do you know? And for me, that's all phenomenal. The mm-hmm. humor in the story is great. It's perfectly balanced in the humor. The relationship between the Doctor and Sarah is fantastic. And then we have the goodbye. And again, the behind the sofa. I need to loan you these Blu-rays at some point because you'd love all these mm-hmm. behind the sofa things. Yeah. Um, Sophie Aldred and Peter Purvis were actually on mm. one sofa. And so far, I made a point. They didn't even hug to say goodbye. Mm. And I'm in my head, A, in my like shipper fangirl head, but also in knowing that Liz and Tom basically wrote that scene themselves. Mm. I don't think they could hug because if they did, she wouldn't have left. Yeah, that that's that's the thing. It's where it's like, you know, all it takes is like that one little physical connection or that one last longing look or word and the resolve breaks. Yeah. And like a lot of people have said that like, oh, this story like, you know, has a big plot hole because it sets up the idea that humans can't go to can't go to Gallifrey, but we know that isn't true later on. And it's like, no, he gets the call and he says, I can't take Sarah with me. Mm. Because what happened the last time he took friends unannounced to Gallifrey. They had their memories wiped. Well, okay, uh, slight correction. He didn't take them there. They were fucking abducted and then sent back. Well, yeah, like, but is it like... Yeah. But no, humans but were I, brought as his companions yeah. to Gallifrey. That's his last I, interaction with bringing someone else to Gallifrey. <laughs> But also, like, it's like, I'm being summoned, and Gallifrey, like, from what we've seen, mm. is a bit of a fucking snake pit at the best of times. Yeah. Like, so, I, it's not like a case of, I'm not allowed, it's a case of, if I bring her there, she's in fucking more danger than I'll be able to protect her from. Yeah. Um, which is great, and I love the way Tom plays that. Hmm. So when the Doctor's on his own, he gets the call, he's like, I can't bring her with me. I have to bring her home. Hmm. South Croydon. You need to punch in the. But he has to talk to himself out loud. Yeah. Oh my Yeah, it's for the audience's benefit. But he's like, I have to change the coordinates. South Croydon. Hmm. Cool. That's where we're going. And then when he turns around and he sees her, and he's like, How did you know? Because hmm. clearly, the idea that she would leave of her own volition is doesn't even alien to enter his brain. Mm. do you know and it's it's what makes the departure so heart-wrenching and you also have the fact that Sarah Jane is this more childish version of herself still like I said a strong woman but more childish and the fact she's like you know I can't miss Gallifrey and they said you're not going to regenerate again are you 
Do you know, mm. it's this, you know, this wonder that she still has mm. for the universe and this sort of gutting feeling of she can't go that la- go on that one extra adventure with him. I think it's done phenomenally. And I am convinced that like if they had put in a hug, then like obviously on screen as viewers, they would have ended the episode and whatever. Mm-hmm. But in universe, I can imagine Tom and Liz self saying we can't hug because if we do, then she wouldn't leave. Yeah, and he wouldn't make her. No, um, which is normal. All of this has basically been to say that I also gave it a five. <laughs> um, and you know, Patty and I have sort of said that, like, you know. The Sarah Jane run on the show is my favorite, and I wasn't going to give all of her stories a five five, and I didn't. Um, but there's so much in this beyond. I mean, if anything, the fact that it's her last story, I should be giving it like a zero <laughs> because I don't want her to leave. Um, but it's just made... such a good story. I think you made that joke for the chase as well because you didn't want Ian and Barbara to leave. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, I will say though that mm-hmm. and we may talk about this more in the rambling um i fell down a rabbit hole of watching things over the last 48 hours that i really shouldn't have i watched the story i watched the behind the sofa on, of the story on the blu-ray they did a special on elizabeth sladen like basically from her birth to her death i watched that then I watched, um, in, I think it was like two days after Elizabeth Sladen passed away, CBBC released a special saying goodbye, it was a goodbye Sarah Jane special, which was, you know, some of the lads from the Sarah Jane Adventures and also Matt Smith and David Tennant, Katie Manning, um, and John Barrowman and some people from CBBC talking through Liz and whatever. Dude, I was like an emotional wreck last night. <laughs> I was like literally lying in bed, be like, "What the fuck did I just do to myself?" I was so depressed. <laughs> and it's one of the interesting things, and you and I have talked about this privately. There are a lot of actors and actresses that we're fans of, hmm. you know, and a lot of them have died before their time. Carrie Fisher, another example. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, for me. None of them have hit as hard as Liz Lynn. That fact that, like, 11 years later, it still upsets me. I, I like, so, like, on obviously having, I suppose, been there since that time, mm-hmm. it's, the by virtue of the fact that you see, you see an awful lot of yourself in her, mm-hmm. um, like, obviously you've met her, okay, so just that I first of all. Like, and it was one of those things of where, you know, you met your hero. You weren't let down by them. Mm. She, uh, she was lovely. Yeah. So <laughs> that's always a plus. Uh, but no, you see an awful lot of yourself in her. Like, you know, like you kind of like have very similar viewpoints, very similar mindsets. Um, I mean, for fuck's sake, you named a We're both role play. clowns. <laughs> yeah, you named, a, you named a role play character after her, you know. So, um, <laughs> but no, it's just one of those things of where like someone that has an influence on your life mm. and they go. Yeah, it does, again, again, it does. It's family, friend, you know, fucking actor, character, whatever the case may be. Mm. It's like when they're gone, it's fucking tough. You know, you don't like to 
to do it. Mm. I mean, like, Jesus, I remember we've talked about the show a few times in our head, like um, uh, Sharp's Waterloo, mm. the TV show, or the TV episode. Um, Hagman, who's one of my favorite characters, fucking he dies in it. Mm. I fucking rewound that. I actually rewound it to see if my eyes were playing tricks on me because I didn't want to believe that he died, you know? And that was my fucking night ruined, you know? <laughs> but that, it's just like, again, look, it's good writing and it's good acting mm. to bring a character to, to life. Yeah. There was something, no like I said, there was something in this character, maybe there was just bits of her like, that I related to. Hmm. Um, maybe it's because she was hot, I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, there was that as well. Yeah. Um, I just connected with this character. And one of the things that, like, as we've gone through, you know, we've said, I was kind of scared that I wouldn't, like, as we're going through the stories this way, would I react differently to them? We've talked about it with Tom. Is, is Tom going to drop from the top spot hmm. um, in terms of favorite doctor? Um, but I was just like, oh, please don't ruin Liz for me. Like, please don't ruin Sarah Jane as a character for me by dissecting hmm. the character in every episode. And it didn't. And I'm really glad that for both of us, because you're a huge Sarah I mean, it's not just me. Like, you're a massive Sarah Jane fan as well. I, I was like, so I was intrigued by her after the this you know uh these last 15 minutes <laughs> that i watched you know but then i watched the odd um classic episode that would appear on uk tv gold and then she came in the revival and it was just like she's this really interesting character that just brings like a sort of a, a life and soul to it and now that's not to disparage anyone else because i mean like i gush completely anytime someone mentions like a William Hartnell thing mm. on any and I'm like oh is this the either Barbara era we're talking about because they're <laughs> they're fantastic you know and like so does that but I'm yeah I have been a huge Sarah Jane mm. fan as well but I think what I love is the fact like for both of us she started on a five and she ends on a five mm. and it'll be interesting in our rambling this week what did we put as her best and worst episode. Mm. Yeah. Because I'm going to say a spoiler I can't say best and worst performance. No. <laughs> yeah. Because she fucking, she was a dinger on that. Like I said, you know, in that documentary we were making comments that she never got the career that she deserved. Mm. And I kind of agree. Mm. So the world should have been her oyster when she left Doctor Who and it wasn't. And at the same time, kind of glad because it meant that she came back for the revival. Yeah. You know, this is the thing. Anyway, I've rambled on long enough about my mm-hmm. love of Elizabeth Sladen and her character. Yeah, um, we, have, we have a special rambling just for that. We have a special rambling just for this where I'll probably say a lot of the same things over again. Yeah. Um, but goodbye for now, Sarah Jane. Mm-hmm. And we, we're now entering into completely uncharted territory because... Yes, we are consistently trish hasn't watched anything beyond this mm-hmm. uh episode count wise as at the moment we're about, we're actually halfway through the number of uh, produced episodes that have aired so you know the second half really is going to be very interesting you know <laughs> yeah, uh, we've discussed so... it that like in tom's run i've watched one more story mm-hmm. which is invisible enemy mm-hmm. that's the one they introduced k9 <laughs> Yep. Uh, in Patrick's, I watched one story, 
Which you, is the five mean, doctors. You mean Peter. Peter. Why did I say Patrick? In Peter's run, I watched one story, which is the five doctors. Because mm-hmm. I had Sarah Jane. <laughs> I didn't watch any of Collins. Though I have it all now in Blu-ray, so I'm, I'm good to go. And I watched all of Ace's run. I can't remember how many stories Ace did. Was it seven? No, I think Ace has ten stories under her belt. Yeah. So from now until the end of Classic, I've watched 12 stories. And how many stories are there? <laughs> well, <12. laughs> well, you're going to be starting off your journey into the unknown in, uh, with a very um, famous story mm-hmm. where we see the Doctor go back into Time Lord Society and try and face the deadly assassin. <laughs> Bye for now. <laughs> Bye.